Hi. Before I start this episode, I want to quickly say that I'm going to talk about some serious issues regarding discussions of mental health in Valence episode 4. If you haven't caught up with Valence through episode 4, now is a good time to do that, but also, please be sure you look at our content warnings in this episode's description. Take care of yourself. So, Valence episode 4. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I know this was a rough one. Um, but in this episode of Scoring Magic, I want to talk about how I wrote that scene and why making Valence is about more to me than it might seem. If you follow me on social media, or if you've followed my writing, there's a chance you've probably seen mentions to some of my background with mental health. To break it down, I have diagnosed PTSD, depression, anxiety, and also ADD, turns out. Um, but the PTSD is from an abusive relationship. The abuse took place over my preteen and teen years and ended when I left for college. The abuse was not from someone inside of my family. That's something we'll get back to in a bit. Instead, it was somewhere between a friendship and a romantic relationship. The abuse was entirely emotional, not physical. So, what does that all mean? What does that look like for me? When people hear discussions of PTSD, they probably think of soldiers, and that definitely isn't me. When people think of abusive relationships, they usually think of something physical. Again, not me. Instead, my abuse manifested as isolation, gaslighting, and huge, huge toll to my self-worth, which was already admittedly pretty low. What it means for me now is that thanks to therapy, medication, and a really loving and supportive network around me, I'm usually pretty stable, happy, and healthy. When people find out about my past, there is usually some degree of surprise. I know I come across as pretty bubbly and goofy and optimistic, and that's because that's all true. That's how I feel day-to-day -day most of the time. But sometimes, especially if I'm burnt out, accidentally isolating myself, or if I'm hit with certain types of conflict, I spiral. So that scene at the end of episode four with Liam and Flynn, here it is as a quick refresher without music, just the dialogue, just to give more context for what I'm going to talk about. Liam? Can you answer me? No? Okay. It's just us here. You can talk to me. Still no? Is it, was it too- I can't keep doing this. I am so desperately sick of existing. I want so much to not exist. Oh, okay. That's- yeah, that's what I was worried about. Come here. No, not right now. Okay. It would be fine. It wouldn't. You'd be fine. 
<laughs> you know I wouldn't be. We've been over this, remember? I don't... I can't... I'm so tired. I know, Liam. I know. You're my best friend in the world. You're important to me. I love you. And I'd be devastated without you. I miss you all the time. And I'd never be able to fix that missing part of me. I hate... I hate that I've done that to you. What you've done to me is be there for me when I needed you. What you've done is just, like, be my friend. I shouldn't have, then. You should have. You've gotten me through times like these before, too. That's why we've got each other. Been there for me, too, remember? Now it's my turn to be there for you. It's not equitable. I use so much. Can I hug you now? Yes. That conversation was taken almost verbatim from a conversation I had with my husband. Here is a recording from when Zach first read the script for episode four. As a quick heads up, this is when Flynn was still named Alex, so it might be a little bit confusing. Just a reminder that in an earlier draft, Flynn was Alex. So <laughs> this is all going to be awkward given this conversation. Um, not awkward, just totally dissonant. So... So a scene in episode four is one that I didn't, one that I didn't know if I should write for a lot of reasons, Um, but when I kind of felt like I had to, babies, can you not right now? Thank you. Um... Anne and Katie actually talked me into it, and I'm glad they did, but it is uh, largely based around that weekend a little while back, the one that was really rough for me. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, So first off, I just wanted to give you, like, a heads up on that, Um, and I also wanted to say that, like, the way that I wrote it is not, like... Like, you'll see that Liam says a lot of things that I said. Like, pretty much verbatim. Yeah, that's... I would I would have assumed that if you were going to base it off of, like, the yeah. words already there. Why, right. Why use different ones? Well, but, well, but I want to bring that up because it's Liam and Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex does... I, I don't know if Alex says words that you said because I don't remember what i said right so i just don't want you to think that this is like how i think it should have gone or how i would have like how i would have liked it to have gone it's i wrote it from the perspective of what was going on with me but i also wrote it to be like a narrative you know so it's it's both inspired by something that did happen to me and to you um but it's it's very different um and I also like I know that it's not about you but I also wanted 
to make sure that you're okay with me writing that? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not gonna... I'm, I'm, I won't, and I don't want to censor you. No, I know, but I just... That has implications, you know? Like... I mean, like, it's just, the, I mean, yeah, that's why you have, a, like, a content warning, which is what you're giving me. Yeah. 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 That's, that's it. Okay. Um. I mean, like, if I didn't want to read it, I wouldn't. And that's okay. Like, I also yeah. want to say that to you, like, because I know that that must have been traumatic for you. Um, it was just scary because I didn't know what the end solution was gonna be and if there was going to be one right so that's kind of was the scary part still i I just figured that we would get there but there was enough uncertainty that it was yeah very scary yeah i just don't want to put you back in that place if you don't want to be put back in that place so you don't have to read it i would like to um, I mean, I want to see what what it looked like from your side. This isn't what it looked like from my side, though. It's okay. I mean, like a, a version of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, does it have? I mean, I'll I'll read it, but I'm assuming it has kind of the ending of um, like agree to disagree between mm, Alex and Liam. It's it's really different. Okay. So pretty much, pretty much, it's the beginning that's similar, where Liam says like, "I don't want to exist. I don't have an interest in this anymore." Um. And that's the part that is mostly inspired by that, and then from there, there's a little bit of Liam saying like, "You'd be fine," and Alex saying no, um, and. Liam trying to talk him into it but there was a lot more in an original version of this but I I cut it down a lot okay um one because I I don't think that it it would help narratively and I don't want to it's really hard writing a scene like this Because I want people to feel seen by it and feel understood because I am sure I'm not the only person who has thought these things with these words. Yeah, like, almost guaranteed. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to give more of those words to people. Like... Oh. I know. I know. But also... I, I see what you mean. I also kind of cut it for time because it was just like a lot of going back and forth and being like, no, you'd be fine without me. Here's why. And Alex being like, no, here's a rebuttal because that's not narratively interesting either. So I I tried to balance them. Um, But, you know, so there's not there's not as much lawyering as there was as much back and forth. Yeah. Or it's Um, just like no, this argument's dumb. And, like, the right. other person responding, no, that argument has no basis because I still don't want to exist. Like, right, exactly. This like, still has no, like, yeah. Right, this, this won't matter because I'll be dead. Not so. applicable. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to give you a heads up and make sure that it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you. I love you, too. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
So you might be thinking, hey, Will, why do this to yourself? Isn't this way too personal? Doesn't this hurt to write? The answer to those questions are yes and yes. But to understand why I wrote this scene the way I did, and to understand why I wrote Valence at all, we have to go back to when I wrote the novel it's based on, back when I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff is a really interesting place to live. It's beautiful. It's in the mountains by the Grand Canyon in a gorgeous pine forest. It has a thriving art community. It comes up in conversation with me a lot because it changed who I am dramatically. It's probably unsurprising that the year I moved to Flagstaff was the year I broke off that abusive relationship. I escaped emotionally, but I also escaped physically in some ways. I felt at the time like I'd left my past in my hometown. But not everything about Flagstaff is great. Here's the thing about a bunch of creatives living in a small town that's stuck in dark, cold winters for about half of the year. Everyone is usually some degree of depressed, and the art scene honestly loves it. The archetype of the tortured artist is alive in Flagstaff and they are probably pouring your coffee and cutting you off on their bike and up on a stage performing some gorgeous art. The other worst part of Flagstaff? It's a beautiful, tiny town in a state park right next to one of the natural wonders of the world. Everyone wants to live in Flagstaff, but there's nowhere to live in Flagstaff if you can't afford astronomical rent. And if you live in Flagstaff, you can't afford astronomical rent unless you're independently wealthy, because to live in Flagstaff is to work in Flagstaff, which means the job market is a nightmare. Everyone is disposable when you have limited positions to be filled, a university nearby, and recent college grads willing to work for, like, none money. So, people in Flagstaff come in, go to college, and then move away because they can't afford to live there forever. Making lasting relationships is pretty much impossible because there's such a churn of people. I was, of course, one of those college grads willing to work for none money. I worked at the university for four years, but I was classified as a temporary employee so they could pay me next to nothing and avoid giving me benefits. So there I was in a town that was dark and frozen half the year, living with roommates and still hardly able to afford survival, no health insurance, no therapy, no medication, with PTSD, working in an extremely emotional field with no lasting friendships except for people who were also, understandably, all really depressed. Because I was so stressed, my symptoms were horrible. I had trouble sleeping to the point where I was afraid to fall asleep because I was so worried I'd somehow fuck up being asleep. I had nightmares about my abuser finding me. I was depressed and anxious. It didn't help that, of course, I couldn't really leave my past in my hometown. My abuser knew, and probably still knows, who I am, where I am, and how to contact me. He displayed that when he RSVP'd to my wedding online. Anyone remember that anonymous anecdote from Note to Self's Privacy Paradox? That was me! And now, we should probably talk about the elephant in the room. I wanted to die. All the time. 
and some of that remains, but it's different now. I have a constant low-level suicidal ideation that plays in the background of my head every day. Usually I don't want to die die, I just want to not exist, and usually even that I can kind of roll my eyes at calling my intrusive thoughts an edgelord and moving on with my day and being actually pretty stoked to be alive. But sometimes, when I spiral, that suicidal ideation isn't low-level or background anymore. It's in the forefront. It's loud. It's very convincing, to the point where I've almost called for help from hotlines when I didn't know where else to turn. It also goes from wanting to not exist to wanting specifically to die, which is a difference I don't really know how to explain in words. Now, again, I'm okay. I promise. I am still happy and healthy and optimistic and goofy. This is just also a part of me, and it probably always will be. I know it's probably not convincing when I say that this is okay, but it is. I have made my peace with this, and more importantly, I'm really good at managing it. I know how to get help when I need it. I need you to trust that I know myself well enough to be telling the truth when I say it's really okay, and all in all, it isn't that big a deal to me most of the time. But this wasn't always the case. When I started writing Liam's story, it wasn't really because I wanted to write a story. It was because I was in such insurmountable pain with no resources to help, and I just needed some way to process. Liam was that method at first, but then so was Nico, and so was Luis. Luis obviously became a stand-in for the therapist I needed. So let's unpack the thing I've said about Liam and Nico both just being me in different ways. First, let's talk about the ways they're different from me. The reason Liam had an abusive family instead of an abusive relationship, and also the reason he's a cis man, is because without those important pieces of distance from myself, writing would have just felt like reopening the wounds of my trauma. I needed separation so I could talk about how I felt without having to talk about my actual experiences again. By episode 4, it's probably pretty clear that both Liam and Nico are self-destructive in completely different ways. When I say Liam is just me, I mean his spirals into depression, isolation, and suicidal ideation. His anxiety is my anxiety. His panic attacks are my panic attacks. He and I feel the same pain, he's just more defined by it than I am, at least right now. When I say Nico is just me, I mean his spirals into chaos, escapism, and nihilism. His self-loathing is my self-loathing. His mood swings are my mood swings. He and I feel the same bottled-up energy and adrenaline. Like Liam, he's just more defined by it than I am, at least right now. With all that distance and closeness in mind, the last question to answer is why I'd write something this personal this vulnerable. And honestly, it wasn't easy. I almost didn't. As we approached writing episode four, I told Anne and Katie that I was so worried about fucking it up. I was worried I was going to misrepresent suicidal ideation, or make it seem like just a cheap plot device, or worse, do something like what 13 Reasons Why did to a lot of viewers and just cause more harm. I was so worried that what I was doing by sharing my experiences was wrong. It was Anne and Katie who told me that I couldn't be misrepresenting my experiences because they are 
mine, and probably others would feel seen by it. I'm not the only one who has these feelings, and I'm not the only one who's frustrated by how media almost always depicts them. I have reached a point where I feel like I have both a right and a duty to be honest about my experiences, and as much shit as I give Liam, it didn't feel right to tell his story dishonestly. It doesn't feel right to water it down. If I'm telling his story and Nico's story and our story, I deserve to, and need to, tell it truthfully. I'd say I hope you feel seen by episode 4, but that isn't the case. I don't want this for anyone. As happy and healthy as I am now, I still spiral sometimes. Even with therapy and medication, my brain will never, ever be a normal brain again if it ever was. I will probably have some form of suicidal ideation for my whole life, no matter how happy and fulfilled I am otherwise. And that's fine, but it isn't fun. So instead of saying I hope you feel seen, I'll say that if you did feel seen, I'm so sorry, and I do see you, and I love you, and I'm so proud of you. In our show notes, we've left links to some resources I wish I would have had when I was still in Flagstaff before I moved to Phoenix and started seeing my therapist. And if you're struggling, whether or not it's similar to how I've struggled, I hope that you can find a way to process like I have. I hope your art helps you heal. I hope you can tell your story like I am learning to tell mine. Scoring Magic is a Hug House Productions. You can find more at scoringmagicpod.com. You can support Hug House at patreon.com slash hughousepods. Thanks for listening to this episode, y'all. It means a lot to me.